The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. to us through the scriptures. We saw last week in the scriptures that the, the proclamation was to go out into the highways and byways and hedges and, and bring in the people that the Lord's house may be filled. He wants everyone in his house. So may we pray seriously about the charge that Josh has given. Pray seriously. Lord, am I to be a part of this ministry? Would you have me go and help and to be with those who are struggling or Lord do I need to tear down my pride and be humbled and do I need to be in this do I need to walk through that door would they love me if they saw me without my mask the answer is yes they would love you Christ loves you so we are so thankful for this ministry we ask that Christ would bless it richly as he has as you're a testimony of it Praise God. Revelation chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to finish the second half of this chapter. Now, this one is a, it's a little tough because we're talking about the lake of fire and the great white throne judgment. So, yeah, deep breath as we get settled in. Um, the first six verses we saw last week, Christ returned, set up his millennial reign here on the earth. We saw that he is ruling. Today we're going to see the culmination of that, the end of the millennial reign. So what we're talking about is the messianic kingdom. The thousand-year reign of Christ is the messianic kingdom. Jesus has returned, set up rule on the earth for a thousand years, and his saints are ruling with him. And we talked about the, who's in the kingdom and all that. Uh, last week, so if you missed that, go online. You can, you can hear all of what we talked about as far as who's in the millennial reign and how that's populated and everything. But at the end, we'll we'll hit on it again a little bit. At the end of this is the judgment seat and the new heavens and the new earth. So we're not at the new heavens and new earth when we're talking about the millennial reign of Jesus. We're not at the new heavens and new earth. We're still on this earth, and so we're seeing what will it look like at the very end. So if you have your Bible, you can open that to Revelation chapter 20. We'll look at verses 7 through 15. Uh, you can follow along on the screen, uh, but I'll read it, and we'll, we'll just kind of go through it here and, and see what the Lord shows us as the end of all things draws to its end. Starting in verse 7 of chapter 20. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. 
And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord for us. That's heavy. (laughs) That's some heavy stuff. As I said, verses 1 through 6 is the millennial reign. It begins. Satan is bound. He's in the abyss. Earth is re-inhabited at that time. And Jesus is king. Perfect government. There's no more war. There's no more strife. It, it talks about, in, in the scriptures, about swords and weapons being, being pounded back into plows and, and, and hoes and things for, for gardening and, and for agriculture and that there's no more war. There's no more need for these things. There's perfect government. It sits on the shoulders of King Jesus. But even though there is no Satan, as those who go into the millennial kingdom who are in the flesh, the Jews and Gentiles who are righteous, who go into the millennial kingdom, they will have subsequent generations and they will re-inhabit the earth. And there will be many who are born during this time. And those generations that are born will also be in the flesh and they will have a sin nature. They're not glorified. The glorified saints and the Old Testament saints and those who died uh, leading up to the return of Jesus, all of those are glorified. All of those have been, been purified and changed and transformed. But those going into the millennial kingdom who make it through the tribulation, who are still in the flesh, they go into the millennial kingdom in the flesh. And their offspring are in the flesh. And those offspring are of Adam, which means they need Christ. And Christ is reigning and ruling, but that's the only ruler they know. For a thousand years, the only king that they know is the perfect king, the king of peace, the king of righteousness, the one who sits on the throne over all of the earth, who has no one to come against him, and his saints rule and reign with him, and they judge rightly. So you have the earth re-inhabited, and where there is things that need to be judged and taken care of, it is done rightly under Christ and his saints. So there will be sin during that millennial time. I know that's hard to understand, but we're still on the earth. We're still here, and Christ is ruling perfectly, but we still have people in the flesh with fleshly hearts, and they have to choose how they're going to live. Are they going to follow the Lord? Are they going to follow the testimony of the saints who are glorified there in front of them? Are they going to submit to King Jesus, or are they going to continue to live for themselves? They will have to make a decision, but Satan is bound, so this great delusion is not loosened on them. And you'll see how powerful Satan really is in a moment. 
so we see that this is what we're heading towards, the end of this thousand-year reign. So verse 7, it says this. It says, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. So at the end of the millennial reign, Satan will be released from the abyss. And we say last week, like, why? Like, it, everything's so good. You know, like, we, we captured him. We threw him into the abyss. We like him there. Leave him there. Like, let's just, that's good. Why do we have to let him out? Well, it's because this generation and subsequent generations will need to make a decision who they will follow. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So many will have to make a choice. They will have to make a decision as to what they are going to do. So Satan is loosened at the end of the millennial reign, and he is going to run around the earth, and he's going to bring a great deception. So it goes on to say this. Verse 8, so he comes out of his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. He will deceive the nations. I mean, think about that. Think about the power of Satan's delusion. He will deceive the nations and convince them that you don't want to live in this utopia. You don't want to live under a righteous judge, a righteous king. You don't want to live under this. You can be in charge. You can rule. You can reign. We should remove the saints. We should remove the lamb from the throne. Let us be like him. He gathers them. He deceives them. He deceives the nations at the four corners of the earth. So he moves all over the place, deceiving anybody and everybody. That means all places, all people will hear and feel the weight of this deception. And many, many will fall prey to it. It says, like the sand of the sea. Can you imagine that? We have a great adversary. Let us not lose sight of that church. And he is a prowling lion looking to devour. And his craft, as Martin Luther wrote in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, his craft and power are great. How great? That he can deceive the nations to war against the Lamb. They sit under the perfect rule of Christ, and yet he can deceive them to war against the Lamb. Adam and Eve in the garden, sinless, walking with God in the cool of the day, talking with God, and he can deceive them to war against him. We have to be on guard, church. Sin of the flesh and sin from the, and, and deception from the enemy, these things will move us away from God. And so we see this power that Satan has. So we have to understand that the human heart is deceptive. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's a rhetorical question. It's like, I can't, I can't. There's times I don't understand myself. Like, I'm like, why in the world did I do that? 
Like, I don't even know. Like, what was I thinking? It's like, well, you weren't thinking, Rob. It's like, I know. Thank you for telling me that. You know, you go through that whole inner dialogue. My heart, my flesh, it's like it, it wells up, and at times it leads me astray. Why? Because the flesh is not of God. And so it's sick. It's deceitful. So you couple that with Satan's influence, which is powerful, 1 Peter 5, 8. It says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And you couple that with 1 John 3, 8. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> Jesus, when talking to the, the Pharisees and scribes, and they're like, we're sons of Abraham. He says, no, you're not. You've been sinning from the beginning. You're sons of the devil. He looks at them and says, your heart is given over, and you have been given over to this delusion. You are not of God. You are of the enemy. So Satan has this power to deceive the nations. Here it says Gog and Magog. From the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Now, Gog and Magog has already happened. So why does he mention it here? So Gog and Magog, this is the original battle, is the mounting hostilities against Israel. It would come from the region of what we call Russia and, and that region they're coming against and surrounding Israel, this, this mighty battle. And this is the war that's mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38. Now this would have already taken place. This would have already happened. It's Armageddon. This is that reference of right before Christ comes and the messianic reign happens, there is a great battle of Gog and Magog where they come against the people of Israel, they surround it, and Jesus comes down from heaven and puts an end to it. It's the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And so the, the writer here, John, is mentioning Gog and Magog because what's he doing? He's making us remember the battle of Gog and Magog where all the world gathered against the people of God and Jesus put an end to it. And again, he says, it's going to happen again. And guess what? Same result. He's going to put an end to it. And it's really anticlimactic. Look at this. It says, verse 9, they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, that beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed him. He goes all, Satan goes all over the earth, deceiving, saying, follow me, I will make you king. I will put you in that place. You can have your own destiny. You can come and, and have the desires of your heart. We don't want to follow this king. Follow me, follow me. Take those plows and, and take those things and craft them back into weapons. Let us wage war against the lamb and against his saints. Let us go to the holy city that you have to go to every year. For the last thousand years, you guys have had to go there for the festival of the Feast of Booths and, and worship Jesus. Well, now let's go up one more time and wage war. And he brings this multitude like the sand of the sea up around the, the city. They surround it. And then fire falls from heaven and it's over. It's pretty anticlimactic. We see the power of Satan to deceive, to fight against God and his people. But it's not powerful enough. 
It may be great as far as deception and lies go, but his power is nothing compared to God and Christ Jesus. Jesus has no equal. I mean, we got to have that in our minds. There is no equal. (laughs) This world will tell you that the universe operates on like a yin and yang kind of thing where there's good and evil and there's balance and there's a flow and everything has to be in unity. No, 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 no. It is all in his hand. He has no equal. There is no balance to his good. There is his good. He holds everything in his authority. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, we read this. He is the image of the invisible God. This is Christ Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, all things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You were created for him. You were created by him. You were held together in him. And you were redeemed by the blood on the cross that he has given for your sin. You are his. He has no equal. That's our Jesus. All of hell can rage. Satan can deceive. All of creation can come against him. And in a moment, he will end it. Why? Because he has no equal. And yet he pours out his love on you. He pours out his grace and his mercy and his kindness towards you. He pours it into our hearts by the Spirit of God. And as we come, he calls us sons and daughters. He reconciles us to himself. He makes us his people. (laughs) Your salvation, then, is held in his hands. I don't know, Pastor. I've done some pretty bad things. I don't know if Jesus wants me. If Jesus saves you, Jesus holds you. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He has done it. He has taken you from darkness and put you into his marvelous light. From the kingdom of darkness, he's put you into the kingdom of light and you are his and he holds you. He has done it. That's our Jesus. That is love. That is grace. That is mercy. That is the kindness of God. So we have this one who rages against uh, God, Satan. He deceives the nations. He brings them up for battle, and Jesus puts an end to it. There's no one like our Jesus. There's no one over him. He has no equal. So what happens? Verse 10, 
And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where, there, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So he throws him into the lake of fire. Now we saw earlier at the return of Jesus that the Antichrist and the false prophet were captured and they were thrown alive into the lake of fire and they were there for a thousand years waiting for this moment when Satan now is captured and thrown into the lake of fire with them and they are tormented. Now this is the final state of Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet thrown into a place of torment. Now, it is not torture, it is torment. Some people have this idea that, that God is not just and God brings about harshness and they would say that because he killed his son on the cross, he is a great child abuser from heaven or he tortures people, like tortures people. He puts them in hell and they're tortured there. It's not torture, it's torment. There's a difference. Why is it, why is it torment? It's because it's conscious, everlasting, guilty, shameful separation from God and any and all forms of goodness. They know that's where they belong. They know that that's just and right, that they are guilty. There's shame ever before them. They are tormented by what they have done, by themselves, by their rebellion, by their rejection. They're not tortured. They're tormented. And they are removed from the goodness of God, anything good. There's one place. We say God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. But he makes the choice to be absent from one place, the lake of fire. There's nothing good there. He does not dwell there. There is no thing that is good in this place. Hell is not a party, or the lake of fire is not a party. It's not, well, I get to hang out with my buds and we listen to ACDC all day. No, it's not going to happen. It's, it's torment. Knowing what you have done, lying before you. Here, Jesus speaks about the separation uh, quite a bit in the New Testament and his teachings. I'll give you a few of those. Matthew 8, 10 through 12. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, uh, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So a centurion comes. He says, My servant's sick. Just give the word. You don't even have to show up. I'm a man under authority. I know how it works. You are over all things. You just have to speak it. So just speak it, and my servant will be healed. And so this, and Jesus is like, I haven't found anybody with this faith. Like, this man understands and he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 10, 28, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew twenty two thirteen, he says, Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. So he gives a parable on one trying to sneak into the banquet, trying to be there who doesn't belong. And he says, What are you doing here? You're not dressed appropriately to be in this place. And the guy's like, well, I just came on in. you know. And he says, Bind this one and remove him 
throw him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark 9, it says this, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Luke 12, verse 5, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. There's no one like our Jesus. And when he judges, he judges rightly. And we see that in this passage. And so Satan is cast into the lake of fire. The Antichrist is in the lake of fire. False prophet is in the lake of fire. But now he must judge the, the unrighteous. And they will come before him. So verses 11 through 15, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So it's not just Satan. It's not just the Antichrist. It's not just the false prophets. It's the unrighteous. It's those who have rejected Christ. They all must come before his judgment seat. So verse 11 talks about Christ's throne. He saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. Now this is a judgment of the unrighteous. This is not the judgment of those who believe. They will be at the judgment seat of Christ. This is the great white throne judgment. And so here they must come before him. And this is right before a new heaven and new earth are created. So it would appear, actually, as we're reading this, it would appear that all of earth and sky have fled away and people will be standing before God in his radiant glory. That they're just there. There's no earth. There's no sky. It is all fled from his presence and the people are all resurrected standing before him. What are they standing on? They don't have to stand on anything. He's God. It's okay. They can... Just be right there in his glory, in front of his throne, standing there at the judgment seat. All of heaven and earth has fled away. Everything is gone. Imagine that scene, a great white throne with the lambs seated on it, and his radiant glory fills that entire scene in your mind, and the people are just in the light in front of him. Nothing else there, just them and the lamb. And then the books are open. But I want us to think about this because this fading away of heaven and earth, Matthew 24, verse 35, it says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. Here, heaven and earth, fleeing from his presence. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Well, here we have a day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. They will be judged and, and put into the lake of fire. It's a, so the earth was 
maintained until this moment. Verse 10, it goes on to say this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So here, it will be burned up. It will be passed away. It will flee from his presence. Verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. So all unbelieving people will come before Christ, and he will open up books in heaven. There's books in heaven, everybody. What's in those books? What are those books about? What exactly are we talking about here? So the first book that will be opened, I want to make you really aware of it, because you have access to it. It's this one. It's this book. The Word of God, His revelation given to man. The Scriptures will not be broken. They will not pass away. When He opens the books in heaven, one of the books He opens will be the Scriptures, will be the Bible. This will give testimony either for or against you. Your life will be put up to this measure. John 12, verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Here's your judge. Have you kept his word? Have you submitted yourself to the authority of his word? So the first book is the Bible. The second book that may be there in heaven is the book of records. It's in Psalm 139, 16. It says, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written. So your life, your death, the, the seasons this, uh, of your life, it's all right here. It's a book of records. He has all of this in a book. So here you are in the book of records, your life and your death and the seasons in which you have lived. The next would be the book of remembrance. Psalm uh, 56.8 says this, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This is a really awesome verse. What's it mean? It means that God sees you. He sees every moment. He sees your tossings your sufferings, your struggles, your trials. He sees your tears. He counts them and puts them in, in his book. He makes note of them. Not just for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Like, he counts everything. He sees every moment, every detail. Nothing's missed from his gaze. And when we struggle and when we wonder, does God see me? Does God care? Is he even there? Yes, and he's making note of it. He's making note of it. Malachi 3.16 as well, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. A book of remembrance. God notes all of our sufferings. He cares and remembers your trials. It's not just yours, but everyone's, the righteous and the unrighteous. 
These are considered in the judgment. So he is, he is fair and just. People will stand before him and they can't say, well, you don't know the life I lived. You don't know how hard it was. You don't know the trials I had to go through. He says, yes, I do. I went through every one of them. I noted every tear. I put it in my book. And I have mercy for those things. I note those things. And my judgment will be perfect and right. I will consider all that has happened. It is not overlooked. Then we have the book of works. This is verse 12. This is where we see here in Revelation 12. He says, the books were open. Another was open was the book of life. So these books were open, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The book of works, the things that you have done. Oh, he's going to go through it all. He's going to go through it all for us, too. So don't be like, well, I got Jesus, yay. No, no, he's going to go through all of this with us, too. It looks different. But he goes through all of it. He sees the work of our hands. He sees the attitudes of our hearts, the thoughts of our minds, the words that didn't come out of the mouth. He knows them and the words that did. He sees all of it, and he judges us by those things. And last is the book of life. Book of life is mentioned mainly in the book of Revelation, uh, but there's a couple of places it, it comes up uh, in the Scriptures. Philippians 4, verse 3 uh, Paul is writing, he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul's like, these have received Christ, they are in the book of life. There's no doubt in Paul's mind. He's like, help them get along, help them have unity, help them move forward the way they should in life, and they are in the book of life. Psalm 69, verse 28, David says this, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. What is he saying? My enemies have come against me. God, I cannot bear this. Do not let them come into your righteousness. Blot them out of the book of life, of the book of the living. David says, don't let the enemies Come in. Revelation 20:15 that we just read talks about the book of life. It's interesting that David mentions this idea of blotting the names out of the book. So Revelation 3:5 says this. The one who conquers will be clothed thus with white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So here, if they do what is righteous and if they continue to follow and they, they receive Christ, and he will not blot them out. David is saying, blot the names out. Psalm 69, 28, that's what we saw. David saying, Lord, my enemies, those who are unrighteous, blot their names out. Don't let them be in this book. And then Exodus 32, verse 33 says this, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. This is kind of a conundrum. At least it has been for me, maybe not for you. I've always thought that the book of life was empty. <laughs> 
Like God knows us and he's created us and then when I receive him, he writes my name in his book. It looks as if our names are always in that book. They started from the beginning, they were in that book. He knew every single one and he put it in the book of life. And when they rejected him, he blots them out. When they choose unrighteousness instead of the righteousness of God and to follow Christ, he blots them out. That he takes them away. Now, this actually is very encouraging. What happens to those innocent young ones, those, those who cannot make a decision for Christ, for those who are maybe have a disability or a handicap, who, who grow up in life, but, they, but they're like an innocent child and they cannot comprehend the gospel. They cannot make a decision. They cannot do this. What happens to them? Well, they're in his book. They're in the book of life. David said when he lost his infant child, he says, he cannot come to me, but one day I will go to him. How can he say that? Because he's in the book of life. The innocent are there. God is the perfect judge. He puts them in his book, but at some point, man rejects God, and he blots them out. And so Christ does not confess them before the Father. They open the book, and they say, your name has been blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. That is the last book that is there. The books are open. Life is judged perfectly with everything taken into account. And at the end, the penalty falls either on the guilty person or on the Lamb of God. If the name is blotted out, then they will pay their own penalty. Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is that He has taken your penalty, and your name is in the Lamb's book of life. You have received him. If you've been blotted out, then the wages of sin is death. You will be separated from him. Verses 13 through 15, it just shows that all are resurrected. What will happen to the one that was cremated? What will happen to the one that was thrown into the sea at burial or whatever? All of it comes back. God brings all of them back. It is not too hard for the Lord. All come and stand before him. And then it says, death is no more. Hell is removed. Those are thrown into the lake of fire. And all who are not in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I've mentioned this a couple times. Believers are not exempt from judgment. We're not exempt. We have a judgment as well. We will at some point stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment here, but the judgment seat of Christ, and our lives too will be examined, but we have our names in the Lamb's book. But look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. This is what it looks like. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Paul says, I've laid the foundation and you are building upon it. The gospel is the foundation. Christ Jesus is the foundation. He says, let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It will be seen. Your hands will be seen. The works that you do. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work 
that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he receives a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, look at that, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You'll be running out of your burning building, basically. You will be saved. Your life will be judged. So, what does this mean for us as we look at the very end here? It means, church, you've got to go to work. You've got to build on your foundation in a way that, that loves God and loves people. Live for Christ. Lay up those treasures in heaven. He wants to give them to you. But more importantly, like Paul, go and place a foundation in other people's lives, which is Christ Jesus. Tell others that there is one who will judge the quick and the dead, who will judge all of us, that we will all stand before him. And he has made a way for them to come into salvation if they would repent and make him the foundation of their life. We sang that this morning. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. Pray with me. Father, we ask that as we see the judgment, that we, we would just take heed, that we would not uh, just be content that we get to go through and that we are in Jesus, but God, that you would make us determined to share Christ with people, to tell them that, that they need him that he has great mercy for them. Father, we're so thankful for the grace that comes through the cross. We want others to experience that so they don't have to experience this great day of judgment. So, Lord, I just pray that your church would take this as a warning, as a wake-up call to go into the harvest fields, into the highways and byways and hedges and, and ditches and compel everyone to come to Jesus that the Lord's house may be full of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.